You guys are the sweetest. That's what Wilson told me. I was like a little nervous. He's like, this is your family. Like, you know them. They love you. So thank you. But in true Renew fashion, um, you guys are going to start us off by turning to some people around you and asking each other just a couple questions that uh, we'll talk more about through the passage. So you might see one of these and be like, that sounds like Wilson. It's because Wilson actually gave it to me. So... Uh, you're going to turn to a couple people around you, ask, have you ever pretended to be someone you are not? That answer is actually yes. So yes, you've pretended to be someone you're not. Maybe share a story of how that happened and why. And then have you ever been catfished? This was Wilson's. And um, I did not know what that meant. But all the laughter tells me that you do. So in case you didn't, I think it's kind of like online dating. This happens a lot. And it's like you're fooled by someone online pretending to be someone they're not. They say they're 6'5", and they're like five foot. Um, you know, they put up a picture of like celebrity handsome, and that's not what you get. So um, anyway, why don't you turn to each other for just a couple minutes. This will be brief, and I'll bring us back together. All right, you can wrap it up. Finish that cliffhanger story. All right, show of hands. Like, who has who has been who had a catfished story to share? Yeah. Oh. Oh, maybe we're a little nervous to raise our hands. Okay. There was just a lot of storytelling going on, so I felt like I I might need to hear some of those later. Um, so the real reason I think that I'm up here is because it's Super Bowl Sunday, 
And so Wilson probably tried to find the most like athletic person he could to preach on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> and that's totally me. Uh, he didn't mention that I'm on staff with a ministry called Athletes in Action. And um, you guys have heard Jonathan and I and Wilson talk about Epic and Crew. Athletes in Action um, is a ministry of Crew, really similar. And um, Jonathan and I just started working with them about a year ago. Um, but I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because um, I grew up dancing, and I do believe that's athletic. Um, I'm not sporty in the least. And, you know, it's not my normal culture, background, experience. And so when we switched to Athletes in Action about a year ago, just like when you're in any new group of people or any new job, like, I really wanted to fit in and I wanted to impress people and I wanted to look the part and sound the part. And so I've, I've been learning and I've been figuring it out. So a couple things that I've learned to fit in with AIA culture is um, learning to ask, what's your sport? Instead of what do you play? Because like a swimmer doesn't play swim, you know? So <laughs> learning to ask like, what's your sport? And I'm learning, um, to figure out you know, what schools are in what conferences and what sports are in season at what time and asking the right athlete about their sport in the right time of year and, and asking them, you know, how's your season is the right way to say it, I think. And um, learning to talk about eligibility and injury, like athletes have a lot to say about injury and so I can get someone going for a little while. And, um, and, you know, I can pull this off for like three minutes, and then I'm kind of tapped out for a while. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, someone will turn to me and be like, what's your sport? And I'm like, you know, I, and I feel like, oh, I have them, I have them fooled, but really they, they have me made, because most AIA staff were former collegiate athletes, so, um, so I just, I have not arrived, but I am, I am learning. But being a part of this new culture, it kind of reminds me of entering into a different new culture when I entered college, and that was the Christian culture. And, um, you know, I came into college and kind of as an outsider looking in, um, didn't identify as a Christian. I looked at Christianity and thought it was just a list of um, rules. It was about the do's and the don'ts and... The do's were really boring, and the don'ts were really restrictive and judgmental, and I didn't really want a part of it. But when I got to college, um, I got closer to actual Jesus followers, and what I saw was different. I saw genuine relationship. I saw humor and intellect and generosity, and, um, and it was different and it was beautiful, and I wanted in. And I had a genuine heart change um, that allowed me to understand for the first time my need uh, for forgiveness, for a savior, and that I found him in Jesus. And, um, and you know, actually, this morning, there are a handful of people here that were there in those early days to witness that. I had a college girls reunion, so these lovely six ladies, five ladies, were a part of that, and actually, I met Jonathan in college too, and so it's really special to have them here um, as people that were there for those early days and some of those very people that drew me um, by their relationship with God to explore who Jesus was. 
And so as a new Christian, God had really changed my heart and I wanted to grow, but I was in a hurry, I think. And um, I looked around me at this Christian culture that I was now immersed in, and I had a lot to learn. And, um, and you know, some, some of these um, learned behaviors are really helpful, and some um, are just kind of role play. And that's what I think could be the most dangerous thing about the Christian life. The most dangerous thing about Christianity is it can be learned. And so much of that is helpful for growth. And, and so much of it isn't. And so, you know, I had, a, I had a Christian roommate, and she had a Bible and a journal and devotional book. And so, you know, I learned to, like, put those on my shelf, the Bible, the journal, the devotional book, and, like, which order you do those things. And um, I, bought, I bought the Christian CDs. Uh, this was 19 years ago, and the Internet was kind of new. And so I had to go to the store to buy the CDs. Um, iPods were, were just a new thing. Uh, so I, I learned the lingo, the dress code, um, the dating rules. I learned these things before and with more clarity than I learned why we study the Bible, why we worship, maybe the heart behind things like sexual purity or why people dated the way they did. And, um, you know, the heart behind it, that came slower. And I think it was slowed down not, be, not because of my community, but by the speediness of which I learned the external behaviors. So I learned Christianity quickly, but knowing Christ came and is coming more slowly. And so I'm sure you can relate that sometimes the external and the internal just don't match. Sometimes our external behaviors um, can tell others, and even us, that we're in right standing before God when our heart is actually far from him. You know, I can't go very far down a road into like unethical or destructive behavior before someone will notice and probably lovingly uh, correct me. But my heart, my heart can slide pretty far away um, from Jesus, from, um, from gospel-centered thinking before anyone notices, maybe even me. And so when I'm talking about the heart, or when I refer to the heart, or when the Bible refers to the heart, I'm just referring to the center of our emotions, desires, thoughts, the place where will and motive are formed. So the place, the heart, we know from experience and from what God tells us through his word that it's really vulnerable, and it can be easily swayed and pulled and affected by sin and hurt, and it can be out of control. All the while things looking pretty much the same on the outside. And, and, you know, Jesus does have something to say about this. And when we encounter Jesus in Matthew 15, um, I love the picture of what we see of him. And the thing about Jesus is that he sees with vivid clarity what we can't, that he does see the heart. And so when he's engaging with people, with masses of people that include religious teachers, his misfit followers, and even the crowds that are full of outcasts, social deviants, um, sinners, and the like. He approaches them and teaches and comforts and confronts in ways that might seem surprising to us and like sure as heck was mind-blowing to the people he was encountering then. 
And so we get a picture of that in Matthew 15. I'm going to read all 20 of these verses, and then um, we'll mostly hang out in the first part of the passage. Starts in 15, verse 1. The Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God. He need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that the Heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So that that was a lot of verses. Um, But just to kind of fly over it once again on surface level, like who we have and, and what we're seeing play out here, we have the scribes and the Pharisees, and this is the religious elite, really kind of the, um, the Jewish law enforcement as far as um, religion um, and rules are concerned. We have Jesus, we have his disciples and followers, and then we've got the crowds around. And um, what we see is that the Pharisees and scribes are making a long journey with a pointed finger It's about a week from where they are um, in Jerusalem to Galilee. And they're taking this long trip to make a challenge to Jesus, posed as a question, saying, like, why don't your disciples follow the traditions? Talking about that they're not washing their hands before they eat this tradition. So see, the history of the Jews to this point was that after receiving the law through Moses, after receiving the commandments, Over time, teachers and rabbis interpreted the law with applied traditions and rules. This became known as the tradition of the elders, is what's referred to. So what happened over time is that these man-made rules and traditions that were meant to apply God's heart and God's command, they were elevated above God's original intent and law. And so these extras in traditions and rules made righteousness attainable for very few. It created this ladder board of performance to get to acceptance and purity. So the law, the heart of the law that was meant to unite people to God was now embellished to divide and oppress. So one of these traditions was being ceremonially clean and this ceremonial washing before eating. And it was really important because if you weren't clean, you weren't allowed to worship in the temple. 
But cleanliness was not about hygiene, really. It was about rule following and associating yourself with the right people, or better yet, disassociating yourself with the wrong people. And those wrong people were the Gentiles, anyone who wasn't Jewish, because um, the Gentiles were unclean. So therefore, unrighteous, unacceptable to God, unable to worship. And this is like a real example. So if a Gentile had crossed this dirt road and the dirt that touched the Gentile's sandal also touched the sandal of a Jew that was crossing the road, then the Jew has been, like, is unclean. That dirt is unclean because it's touched them. And so cleanliness was serious, and there had to be this elaborate, like, multi-step washing. I, like, read about it where it was, like, you do this with your hands, and you let things drip off your elbows, and then back on your hands, and they would, like, pour things down before, before, you, would, before you would eat. Um, because if you, you were, had anything unclean on you and you touched the food and you ate food that was unclean, you would be unable to worship. So you clean this way or you, you couldn't worship in the temple. And the disciples, Jesus' followers, did not do this. They had the audacity to just pick up a piece of bread and eat it. So here's the charge that the Pharisees have to Jesus. And so maybe... Maybe these Pharisees hadn't heard, these particular ones did not hear about Jesus, that when you come pointing a finger at a sinner, at one of Jesus' followers, that Jesus often did this. And that's what Jesus does in this passage. He says, um, you know, the law says not to dishonor your father and mother, but you've created a tradition saying that well, if I tell my parents that the money and time I would have given them, I'm giving to the Lord instead, which really just gave them complete control, that you don't need to honor your father. And so the spirit of the law is to honor, and you have found a way to fashion that for your own ta taste, which is actually breaking the intent of the law. And so he's turning it right back on them, saying like, okay, here's the traditions, but you've broken the heart of the law. As we read this, we can say, like, this was a long time ago. It's different now. This doesn't happen anymore. Christians don't do this. Um, but do we? And I think I don't have to look very far to realize, yes, it's true of me. Um, even in active ministry, maybe especially in full-time ministry, um, I can teach and lead people and pray for them and study God's word and just think box, check, 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 while my heart is disengaged. It can be comparing to others or just doing those things to impress or to perform. I know by now how to abide by the Christian rule book in public and externally. Um, I know the right words to say to make myself appear empathetic or compassionate or wise. Um, but is it because my heart is anchored to the law of loving one another? Sometimes. And you know, Jesus keeps going, and it doesn't end here. Um, he calls the Pharisees something that Christians are still being called today. Um, probably the number one complaint of someone when talking about a, a Christian, and that is that they are hypocrites. Um, and he says that. We have it in a slide right here. He says, you hypocrites, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So he's saying they're outside saying one thing, but Jesus, he is seeing the heart, and that says a completely other thing. Their posture and their rules and their pointed fingers say that they care about the law, but Jesus can see the heart, and it's far from him. And you know what else Jesus calls the Pharisees later? He calls them whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs. Can you picture that? Like sparkly clean on the outside, but just rotten decay on the inside. So he's getting at the heart. And as I was originally studying this passage and just kind of trying to put it in my own words of what it would look like for me today in my Christian culture, this is what came out. Saying, these people, they gather to talk about me. They sing about me. They even tell others. They give money and time. They've changed their behavior and music and dress. But it's all in vain. Their heart is far from me. It's not worship. It's lip service. They don't worship me. They use my name to promote themselves and to point fingers at others. Ugh, anyone else feel like they get punched in the gut? <laughs> That's what I felt like after writing it. Because, you know, those are some really sharp words from Jesus. And like I mentioned earlier, he's different. He approaches people differently than we would expect and certainly differently than they expected here. He, is, he saves his sharpest words and rebukes, not for the sinners, but for religious people. And, you know, he doesn't do this to just make you feel like you get punched in the gut. He doesn't do it to condemn. He does this to release the burden on the people that want to follow him. Because look what he does immediately after this. After that charge at the Pharisees, you can go to the next slide. He calls the people to him, it says, and he called the people to him and said, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out, this defiles a person. This defiles a person. So he's calling the people to him. These are the, this is the crowds, the common people. This could be the sinners and the outcasts and Gentiles and, and the like. This could be anyone. And he teaches them plainly, really asking them to listen and understand. And so again, we see about what makes someone clean or what defiles a person. And remember, cleanliness was about being acceptable to God, being righteous. And being unclean meant that you were unacceptable to God, sinful. So in effect, for the rest of the passage, as it goes on, Jesus is telling them, your behavior will not change your heart. Washing hands and following rules does not make you pure of heart. But actually, your heart is revealed in your behavior. So you want authentic, changed life and behavior, you need a changed heart. And a clean heart, an acceptable heart, only comes one way, and it's not through traditions and rules. And I love that as he's explaining this, the disciples say, um, Jesus, the Pharisees are a little bit offended at what you're saying. And they're, you know, they're just still trying to figure him out. He's so very different and kind of like irked that Jesus is turning away from the Pharisees and talking to these regulars, these nobodies, like they can have access to God. Like he is really ruffling feathers. And I feel like we lose touch of how much Jesus is still like that. So he's calling the people to them. 
And you know where he's leading them if they choose to keep following? Is he's leading them to the cross. That's where Matthew is going to take us. That's where the gospel accounts take us, is to the cross. And along the way, Jesus continues to have interactions with people just like this. He's saying, you're not beyond saving, follow me. He's saying, you're worth rescuing, follow me. He's saying to the religious, that's not going to save you, follow me. He leads them to the cross where he takes all that sin and sorrow and weight of condemnation on himself, knowing that we can't fix ourselves and we cannot bear the weight of it. And he takes it for us in excruciating suffering and death, but that we know that that death doesn't have the final say over Jesus because he was raised from the dead, having victory. And so he's proving in his victory that he is victorious all over, over all that weight and suffering and condemnation and all the reasons that make cleanliness out of reach. He is wiped out. So now we enter this story on the other side of the cross. We're looking back in history as they're looking forward to the cross. We're looking back. But I do think that he is telling all of us um, the same thing, that he is calling us to him and leading us to the cross, saying, you're worth it, and you're not too far gone, and I see you, and that is not what's going to separate you from me, and I see you, and that's not going to save you but you can follow me. And it's through this drawing near to Jesus and his death and allowing him to release the burden on us that he accepts on himself that that is what re that removes our guilt before God and makes us acceptable to him. It is through that cross that forgiveness is accessible and it what makes us clean. So when a Christian lives under that constant demand of external behavior, and it's just like scrubbing clean the outside of a tomb, right? Nothing beautiful results from that. Now, when a Jesus follower is freed from condemnation and weight, allowing Jesus to change them and give them the new heart from the inside out, people notice. It's like I noticed when I got to college. People don't see a whitewashed tomb, they see a beautiful Christ. And so I think when we look back on this passage and scene in the Bible, um, there are probably places where you connect and maybe where you can see yourself. And so I would ask you, as I ask myself when I read this, who are you? Like, who am I? Are you maybe the Pharisee, once with a heart to honor God, but maybe now just rule-following and finger-pointing and comparing and judging? Or are you feeling under the weight of all the shoulds, and I need to do this, and I need to prove myself? Are you a disciple, still trying to figure out these upside-down ways of Jesus? Or maybe you one in the crowd feeling condemned or too far gone or unacceptable to God, or maybe even unsure if you want to be. So regardless of who you are in this room, in this passage, I think the invitation really is the same. And um, like I said before, Jesus is, is the only one that can see what we cannot, that he can see the heart. And so I cannot see your heart, and I do not know your heart, and I can make assumptions, but I cannot see that. And often we, we fool ourselves, but I do think that 
Jesus can see an accurate picture of our own heart, and I believe that we can too if we do the honest work. And so I think that's what the invitation is I'd like to extend first is to take inventory, take a look at the condition of your heart. And this goes beyond behavior modification and lip service. Um, it's asking yourself, why are you doing the things you're doing? Who for? Is it for growth? Is it to honor God? Is it to impress a friend or leader? Is it to appear godly, to prove yourself? Really ultimately asking myself, where, do, where am I seeing brokenness and where am I trying to mend it? For me, what it's looked like to do this hard work is, um, is intentional conversations with Jonathan, with close friends, with a counselor, some of you ladies, paid friend, no, with my paid friend. Um, it looks like journaling honestly, so I have room and space to understand what's going on in my heart. And when I do do the work and take a deep look, I can see that my heart is broken and messy. And I see that I don't just want acceptance and affirmation, um, I want admiration. And with my new job with Athletes in Action, and as I raise a strong-willed son, um, I find myself feeling really incompetent at times, and like I'm failing, and like um, I'm ashamed. And I realize that as I'm seeing those things in my heart, that my desire to be approved and admired is forcing these external behaviors. To compensate, I pretend like I have it all together. Um, and this, um, this discrepancy between the two leads to shame and comparison and judgment and pride, because I'm really competent at keeping up appearances, but I do often find decay inside. So I say that, and it has been a sobering season, as it sounds, but it's been really sweet, too. Because I've been taking an honest look at my heart, I am drawing closer to my savior. And because I've acknowledged my own hypocrisy, which we all have, I think we just need to agree with God and the rest of the world that we are total hypocrites. Um, you know, agreeing with God about the mess in our heart gives him room to do his good work, to relieve that burden and take the weight as he wants to to the cross. And so for you, it might not be ministry and motherhood, like I described. It might be singleness, or getting asked out on dates, or getting promoted at work, or being acknowledged at church. It might be being included with friends. You might find yourself comparing marriages, or houses, or children, or influence, or bank accounts. Like, you name it. There's just so many opportunities for us to do this. And you know, when we do do that work of looking at our hearts, here's what else we might find. Our hearts are stubborn. They are genuinely transformed by the work on the cross, but they're also still living in this broken world and these broken bodies. And there's this constant magnetic pull away from freedom and authenticity and into performance and vain religion and lip service. And that's where a community like this, I think, can be really helpful to allow ourselves a place where the magnetic pull is back 
to the center of needing Jesus together and back to the cross. And so on this next slide, I'd want to give you a note of caution. So I think just as humans, we find tension really difficult to live in. Black and white is more comfortable, it's easier, we feel like we know if we're doing right or wrong, who's in and who's out. And so often when, um, when I find myself or others learning about hypocrisy or the legalism or Phariseeism in my own heart, I want to swing to the other side. Like we are chronic pendulum swingers. And in this case, I feel like it's between legalism on one side and license. So one extreme legalism is like Phariseeism that we were just talking about. Um, it's saying like religion, behave. We like do these things so that you can be acceptable. But we see burdensome hypocrisy there. And so we swing over to the other side that says like freedom, grace, don't judge me. I won't judge you. You do you. Um, but this still leaves ourselves and the world as our master, indulging in whatever feels right to us. And that's not the gospel either. And the gospel, that word literally means good news. And neither of those sound good to me. They sound familiar. They sound temporarily easier, but not ultimately good. And I'm tempted to say that this good way, the gospel way, is just finding the happy medium, just finding the balance. But like we've seen, Jesus is entirely different than we'd expect. And so in this next slide, I feel like this might be an easier way to picture, picture it. It's as if legalism and license are two edges of the same cliff that ultimately lead to disappointment and death. And then there's the good news way, the gospel way. And that's Jesus turning to every ordinary person and inviting them to follow him to the cross. And you know, the cross doesn't say, like legalism or Pharisees, it doesn't say that acceptance and forgiveness is for you while you obey, while you're doing things right. In fact, it says you can't earn it at all. And the cross doesn't say that acceptance and forgiveness is cheap and you should spend it however you want, like license says. It says, Jesus says that this gospel way or the good news way of following him is an invitation for everyone. And the invitation, invitation is to trust him to transform us, give us a new heart and allowing us to change from the inside out. You know, as we close, I think the next step might look different for all of you. You know, whether you're a Jesus follower or a Pharisee, Pharisee in recovery, uh, outcast, sinner, feeling totally uninterested. Um, I don't know what, who you are. Um, and the next step could be different depending on how you identify, but... You know, maybe for some of you, a next step would be checking out like our alpha course that we've talked about that the Changs lead for us. An opportunity to begin exploring some of your big questions and barriers in Christianity. It might be seeking out like a mentor or counselor or group of friends that you can begin doing the hard work of exposing your heart and understanding your own hypocrisy and brokenness. 
Um, maybe today you're finally ready to allow Jesus to bear a burden for you of the condemnation you feel. I don't know how long many of you could be sitting here and just thinking I'm too far gone. But if we place ourselves in that scene from Matthew 15 and realize that it's the same Jesus and the same invitation today, I would just hope we wouldn't pretend and perform thinking that that would save us. And I hope that we wouldn't be frozen in place thinking we're too far gone. I just don't want us to miss um, a beautiful Christ. And so we're going to have a few of us over here praying as usual during worship. And I don't really know what the invitation might be for you. It could be to do, you know, the work in your heart on your own. Um, This could be singing the song that already rings true in your heart. But I would invite you to come and pray and ask and explore um, if you feel that there is a next step or invitation that Jesus is extending to you today. We would love to be a part of praying for you and walking next to you and helping leading you there. So we're going to close and pray. And as I pray, you know, praying is not magical. Um, It's just expressing what's in our heart to God. And so sometimes when we pray, we want to say magic words or we want to sound spiritual. But it's really just saying, like, what's in my heart I want to express out loud, even though we know God already sees. It's like us being able to agree with God and what he already knows and sees in our hearts. And so I would invite you in your heart to do that, even as I pray out loud. And if this is something that you feel like this is new and I'm agreeing with this the first time, just please share with a friend. Um, This is not something that we want you to continue to journey with in secret. All right, let's pray together. God, I'm grateful that you are the same uh, today as you were in this passage that we read, and I love that you're surprising, and you are so unlike what we'd expect. Um, Thank you that you are about the ordinary, and, um, and that you're inviting us to the cross, that you want to take the burden that we bear off our shoulders um, and provide us with um, authentic relationship with you. We trust that you can do for us what we cannot uh, do for ourselves. Yeah, we love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.